with you this morning and good to be in God's house and want to open up the word with you this morning. A lot of friendly faces, a lot of faces that I don't know, but, but that's the whole reason for the name tag so that if you're here and you don't have a name tag, just make sure Miss Amber gets one for you. So we're all on first name basis around here. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you don't, Jason or, or, or Regina, I think is running the sounds this morning, we have the scripture on the screen. We'll be in Luke 1. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And so we're going to be all month, we're working on the Christmas story. We're talking about the Christmas story. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the Old Testament scripture that points to the Christmas story. The 400 years before it actually took place, it was also prophesied. And we know that because the scripture shows us that in Isaiah and in Malachi. We had a lot of good discussion on that list last week. But this week, we're going to be focusing on an actual event that took place. And something that's very important. And then this directly affects us. And the way that that, that takes place in this scripture is the response is given. These are all important things we're going to look at this morning. And so the title of the message this morning is God chooses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And that's a really important thing, the way God picks people, the way he chooses people to serve, the way he chooses people to fill the roles that he wants them to do. He takes ordinary people. He takes ordinary events, but he does extraordinary things with that. And so we're going to open up that this morning. When you think of your average day, and we think about it, and, and this is things I want you to ponder over for yourself, all right? So when you're thinking about your average day, how many times a day are you faced with making a choice? I mean, you think about your average day. You think about this day alone, just what happened from the time you woke up this morning to the time you're here now. When you think about your average day or, or Monday through Friday, how many times are you faced with making a choice? So look at this. The day starts out with deciding what time I'm going to get up. We did that last night. We decided what time I'm going to get up in the morning. We had to make a choice, pick a time that we're going to get up. We move forward. We say, well, what am I going to wear today? Here's another choice. Well, for me, it's not hard at all. I just go where Patty hangs my clothes and I put them on. Y'all have that issue? If it wasn't for Patty, there's no telling what I would be wearing. But anyhow, it's a choice, okay? She had to make a choice for what I was going to wear. Every single day, we're faced with issues that force us to make a choice. Some of these choices are right, and some of them are wrong. Some of them have impacts on our lives. Some of them are right or wrong. Life is full of choices, and there's some difficult choices. I've heard that phrase my whole life. Life is full of choices, and you got to make some, Amen. There's choices every single day, and some of them are difficult choices, but nonetheless, you still have to make them. Now, we often have to make choices that affect the outcomes of our lives personally, and these choices can also affect the lives of other people, people that are around us as well. There are times in our lives when we respond with the word yes, and there's other times when we respond with the word no. And you know, some people can't say no. Anytime you ask them to do something or serve somewhere or do something, oh yeah, I'm, I'm there for you. Even though their plate might be overloaded, they can't say no. But there's times to say yes, and there's times to say no. And so there's certain times we want to distinguish between the two. Now, when events are placed in front of us and questions are asked of us that require a yes or no answer, the results can have some pretty significant results. And you think about it, it can have a pretty big impact on our life. Now, let's move a little closer. When God the Father places an important question in front of you, such as, what are you going to do with that life that I gave you? 
What are you going to do with the time on this earth that I've given you to to work, to serve, to live? What are you going to do with those things that I've given you? Are you going to live for me? Are you going to live for something or somebody else? And that's a very good question because God places that question in front of us. He's given us a life to live for a period of time. We don't know how many years we're going to be here, but we want to make sure that while we're here, we're living for the Lord. Amen? that we're singing praises to him, that that we're glorifying him, and that every aspect of our life is to fulfill the will that he has for our lives, all right? So we want to move forward. The responses that we give to him can have eternal results. Man, when we respond to the things that God has given us to do or things that he wants us to do, they can have eternal results. Man, our response to God can have eternal results destination. It can be the results of eternal destiny. It can be the the time that points us into an eternal destination. God seeks our yes answer to the questions that he has for us in two things, and we study those all the time, and one of them is obedience, and the other one is surrender. He wants us to be obedient to his word. He wants to be obedient to what he's called us to do. He wants us to surrender our lives to him, to let him be the Lord of our lives, to let him be the one that's in charge, to make the decisions, and that we serve for him. When God asks us to do something that he wants us to do, the simple answer is, yes, Lord. I can't be any more simple than that. It's yes, Lord. When God puts in front of you and he he lays something on your heart or he wants you to do something, the answer should be yes, Lord. Sometimes these things that God asks us to do are difficult. And he's asked us to do some things that are difficult. Sometimes we don't understand what he wants us to do. Sometimes we might not want to question what he wants us to do. Sometimes we might want to negotiate with God. Have you ever done that before? I got to tell you that I have negotiated with God before. It didn't work. But I did try it. I mean, early on, we got, God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Y'all ever do that? Come on. Anybody? Just me. I got to tell you, I did one time. I said, Lord, you know, this is something that's really heavy on my heart. And, and, I, and if you'll do this for me, then I'll, I, I'll do this. Man, I know it's, you, can, you can not say anything, but I know it's what it is. Negotiating with God a lot of times. And it's not what we need to be doing. It's not what we should do. We don't negotiate with God. We follow his lead. But if we believe that God is the God he says he is in his word, if we believe the word of God, if we believe he is the almighty God and he's the creator of the universe, the answer should always be yes. Amen? If we truly trust him, this morning we're going to open up a passive scripture that reveals the importance of saying yes to God. If you were able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word starting in Luke 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who was called childless. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Pray with me, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. Father, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. What do we know about Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ? And we've, we've looked at that a couple different times. And I want to move into this scripture. We want to understand Mary. To understand what Mary, how she responds to Gabriel's announcement, we've got to understand a little bit about Mary and what she was dealing with. What do we know about her? For all practical purposes, Mary was poor. Mary's family was poor. Mary's friends were poor. Most likely, everybody that she knew was most likely poor. Most likely, every other person that she had encounters with was poor. Most likely she was like every other Jewish girl living an ordinary life. She was an ordinary individual girl. She had plans that went along with everything that took place. She had plans of getting married, to have a family, to have a lot of children. I mean, the thing is when women got of a certain age, they were, they were betrothed out to, a, to an individual because women and ch- children depended on men to take care of the family. And most likely she was making these same plans. The Bible tells us, and let's look at these two important facts about Mary. You want to make sure you understand two key things and two key principles about the history of Mary. Number one, she was selected by God to receive the announcement, the very first announcement of the Christ child who would become the Savior of the world. That's the first person that ever heard about it. We knew it was coming. The Old Testament prophecies talk about it, but the actual first announcement comes from Gabriel, and Mary's the first one to hear it. God chose her. He selected her to hear the announcement for the very first time. Number two, she was selected by God to be the mother of Jesus. This is a pretty key issue. She was selected out of all the people in the world, all the young ladies that could have been chosen, she was selected amongst them. She was selected to care for him for nine months in her womb. She was selected by God to provide for him throughout his infancy stage, his childhood stage, all the way up into his youth. We often think that God only works through extremely gifted people. But when you look at Mary's life and you look how simple she was, you look how ordinary she was. God moves in all kinds of people. We think, well, God only works in the wealthy. He only works in the, the well-to-do or the educated people. Or he only uses the pastor or the deacons or maybe the leadership in the church. But let me tell you something. God will move in anybody's life. Amen. When you become a Christian, he's moving in your life. The Holy Spirit has moved inside of your heart, and yet God is going to start moving in your life. He uses ordinary people. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary work. I don't want you to ever forget that. Because God's going to use you. If you turn your life over to him, he's going to use you. And we're going to look a little bit further about being used by God. The Christmas story reminds us that God moves in and among individuals who you might least expect it. That's what the Christmas story is all about. God didn't enter into this world into a kingdom. He didn't come in on rose petals. He didn't come into a, in a big entourage of people bringing him in. He came into a, a lowly stable. That's what the Christmas story is all about. God will use people who are willing to be used by God. 
That's where we want to get a little bit deeper. When you say, well, I don't like to be used by people. Well, nobody likes to be used by people. People say that. I don't want people to use me. And that's a negative aspect. That's when we look from a human standpoint. That's a negative aspect. But when God uses people, it's never from a negative aspect. It's always from positive aspect. And it's always positive results. And it's for his purpose and his plan. Now, I want you to look at three parts of this scripture. Three things that are going to take place in this. We're going to look at three different areas of importance in this passage of scripture. There is one the announcement of Gabriel's of God's plan through Gabriel. The announcement is the very first thing. It is important. It's important how it came about. It's important who did it. It's important who heard it. And it all is important to us. Number two, the message that Gabriel gave to Mary. Now we know that it's not the messenger that's the important part except when it comes to Jesus Christ. But it's the message that the messenger brings that's important. And on this particular occasion, this is one of the most important messages ever delivered. Number three, this is where we come in. The response that Mary gave to God. Not just to Gabriel, but she gave that response to God. These are the three areas that we're going to focus on. And I want you to look at the fact of how this takes place. And I want you to look at the response that Mary gives. And I want you to do self-examination of your own life. How you respond to God when he places those things in front of you. Let's look at the announcement. The announcement of the Christ child came at a time in history when the people of, in this particular area, they were tired. They were weary. It had been over 400 years since God had spoken to his people. When you look at 400 years, if you lived 100 years of peace, four generations of people had come and gone. All these people were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. When is he coming? Is he coming in my lifetime? Well, there's four generations of people that have come and gone, and most people had given up hope. When we talked about hope last week. And we talked about hope on Sunday night last week and how significant it is and all the aspects of hope. And then when we look at this passage of Scripture, you've got to understand that these people hadn't heard from God. And most of them had given up hope that the Messiah was even coming. They trusted he would because prophecy said he would, but they didn't know when it was going to happen. And you're looking a little further. In the middle of the darkness, and this is where it comes into the light of the world, God sent his message, Gabriel Messenger Gabriel to deliver the announcement of the coming of the Son of God. This was Gabriel's first announcement about Jesus Christ, but it wasn't Gabriel's first presence in the history of the Christmas story. Amen? It goes all the way back. Several months earlier, and that's what the Scripture talks about, your, your, your cousin Elizabeth. When he talks about Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah in the temple, Zechariah was a godly man. He was a husband of Mary's cousin Elizabeth. They were godly people, but yet they were advanced in age. Now, you think about history, and you think about this timeline. In this particular age, if a woman was childless, it was a stigma about her that she couldn't have children. It was a, a, almost like an outcast situation from them. They were childless. Gabriel's visit to Zechariah was an announcement of an other unlikely pregnancy. Older people about to have a child. I mean, you know that God has done this multiple times through since Genesis. He come through and he's, he's filled a, a void where it was, void was needed. But when we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both old, but yet they were godly people. They were going to have a child, and this child will be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But he was a, a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was at least six months older because that's what it says. He's in the sixth month. And you think about it, he was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. John would have a key role in God's plan in the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. He wasn't the messenger, he was the messenger. And he had a whole part of setting the stage and clearing the path for Jesus. Gabriel's presence was significant throughout history. 
You've got to understand what, what history talks about when it talks about angelic messengers. Or it talks about when, when God shows up. Gabriel's presence was significant. He was one of God's messengers. He was sent to initiate the plan of redemption for God and his people. He was sent to, to open up the door to tell people that, that God was coming into the, the human form from, from, a, from heaven. He was going to step out of heaven and come into human form. He was going to have a plan of redemption that was going to take care of the sins of the world. A plan that ultimately gave people the opportunity to have salvation and ultimately to have eternal life with God in heaven. It's the most important message coming. 400 years of silence, the light of God was now shining on his people and the light of the world would enter into this world in the form of an infant for the purpose of eliminating darkness. Amen? Then the light of the world coming in as an infant. Let's look at the message. This is scripture. Gabriel told Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. First words out of Gabriel's mouth is do not be afraid. And we've talked about that in multiple times is why the angels initially say don't be afraid. Let's look into further. The first thing out of his mouth was comfort, things of comfort. Throughout history, when angels showed up, people got scared. They got scared. Today, people aren't as fearful as God as they were in the first century. Man, when you think about it, you talk about God, people refer to him as what? the man upstairs. That's a nonchalant way about referring to the kingdom of the key and the creator of the universe, the man upstairs. We often refer to him that way, but in the first century, God's people didn't simply want God to show up. They knew when he showed up that they weren't worthy to be in his presence. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Look at Moses. Moses, if you remember, couldn't look in the face of God. When he returned from Mount Sinai, his face glowed like the sun. He couldn't look into his face. God was to be experienced only in the temple and only on certain days of the year and only certain occasions. And yet the angel repeats the words to Mary, you have found favor with God. When you think about it, how do we get favor with God? How does anyone get favor with God? God was to be experienced on certain areas, but Mary had found favor with God. Mary knew, just as we know, favor with God is not deserved. And it's not earned. It's not something we can do to earn favor with God. We don't deserve favor with God. It's because of his unconditional love that we have favor with God because of the way he loves us. We don't deserve favor. We deserve nothing. We deserve to be punished. We deserve uh, the, the eternal destination of separation. But God wouldn't stand for that. He, his unconditional love, he's allowed us to have redemption and, and comfort with him. Now, I suspect Mary's mind at this time, and this is just Kerry paraphrasing a lot of this, I suspect her mind was racist. Man, I can just think about the, what's going on in her mind and the thoughts of what the angel's telling her. In my mind, I, I can hear Gabriel saying something like this. Mary, I know this is a lot for you to comprehend. I know this is a lot for you to process right now. I know you're having a hard time understanding what I'm trying to tell you, but here's the thing. But you need to pay attention. You ever use that phrase when you're talking to somebody? You need to pay attention. Because why do you need to pay attention? Because what I'm about to tell you is so important. I don't want you to miss it. You want to make sure you understand it. You want to make sure that you hear it. You need to pay attention. Now, that's not in the scripture, but that's the way I see it. Gabriel said, hey, listen up. You need to pay attention. I've got some really good news for you. Your life is about to change. The baby that's about to carry, you're about to carry in your stomach, this is the Messiah. 
the one that your family's been waiting for, the one that your people have been waiting 400 years for. This is what's about to take place. We look at verse 31. starts out with two words. It says, now listen, as if Mary hadn't already been listening to Gabriel what he was saying. Verse 31, now listen, you would conceive and give birth to a son, and you would name him Jesus, and he would be great, and he would be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Can you imagine what Mary must have been feeling at the sight of an angel and the sound of his voice and the message that he, she was hearing? Can you just imagine what she was hearing? The Bible says that during this time Mary was engaged to Joseph. And we know that. We know that it's the betrothal period time. These betrothal periods in Jewish history could last up to a year. And this was a, a binding contract between a man and a woman. It was a betrothal period where they weren't together, but yet they were betrothed to each other. It was almost as identical to being married. The only way it could be separated was by divorce. And it was a critical time of together for them. The engagement would last up to 12 months or longer. But let's look at the, the, one of the key things. This is the response to what Mary says. Mary had a simple response to Gabriel's announcement of his message. She says this, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. Man, when God puts something heavy on you, when God lives, gives you something that he wants you to do, is your response as simple as what Mary gave? Let it be just as you said. Just as you said. In other words, Mary said yes to God. It was, was no simple yes. I want to look a little bit further than that. What, what a response from a simple young girl. She didn't say no, and that's partly some things that are easier for us to say. She didn't say no. She didn't say, let me think about it. She didn't say, let me talk to Joseph because this is going to affect him way more than it's going to affect me. Just the same. Let me, let me talk to my family about it. How in the world am I going to explain this to my family? What are people going to say about me, all this community? What Gabriel didn't say. Let me back up. What's not in text, what Gabriel didn't say, he didn't say, I'm going to talk to Joseph for you. Mary didn't know Gabriel was going to talk to Joseph. He didn't say, I'm going to go smooth things over with your family. He didn't say, I'm going to make sure that nobody bothers you or make sure nobody talks about you. But yet there was, there was comfort in the announcement that Gabriel was giving Mary, even though he didn't tell her the things he wasn't going to do. She had comfort in his words, and it didn't really matter what she was going to have to deal with because God was in control. Let's consider what Mary was signing up for. Mary was saying yes to bearing the shame of an unwed pregnancy. That was shameful time of what was about to take place. At a time that carried a, a stigma, what would her friends and family believe her? Would they believe her claims that she had been visited by God's messenger? Can you imagine what Mary would have said to her mom and dad? Well, guess what? The angel of the Lord came to see me last night, and he said, I'm going to get pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the child that's in my womb is going to be the Son of God. Well, how do you think you would have responded to that? We'd have had a hard time with it, wouldn't we? Would Joseph stay with her or put her away? That's something that, that could have happened in either way. Let me tell you something. We know the end of the story because we've read the story. But Mary didn't know what the end of the story was going to be like. She didn't know what she was up against. It's hard enough to, to raise a child, but can you imagine raising the Son of God? Could you imagine the pressure of raising the Son of God? You things like this. Jesus, it's time to eat. 
Jesus, it's time to wash up for supper. Jesus, it's time to clean your room. Jesus, stop teasing your brothers because you know way more than he, they know. Did y'all know that, that, could you imagine what Jesus went through when he went through Torah school in the, in the first years of his life when the teacher would ask him a question? He, he said, yeah, I wrote that. You know what that was like? It would have been tough to be a teacher in his class, wouldn't it? Imagine her fear every time Joseph or Jesus got a cold, every time he went out of the house to play, every time he went into his, his Joseph's uh, carpenter shop and picked up a sharp knife or a sharp tool for cutting wood. When you know that God was going to make sure that Jesus only died on the cross, but that don't mean there wouldn't be some issues that took place along the way. So Mary had a responsibility of caring for this important child through infancy, through child, all the way up to his youth until the time he became a young man. And I'm sure that this task was very overwhelming for her, mentally and physically. Mary was saying yes to a lifetime of roller coaster rides of emotion. She would see him feed multitudes of people. She would hear about him and, and off from the distance see him raise someone from the dead. She would hear the disciples talking about how he walked on water, all these things that he was capable of doing. But then she would also see him mocked and taunted and spit on and made fun of and talked about at times even by his own family, even by the people that were closest to him. She would see all these things and yet Mary would hold him close and then yet she would have to let him go. She would feed him and rock him, and then she would have to push him away into manhood. And he also would have rebuked her at the wedding. Most of all, though, Mary knew what was coming because she knew prophecy. She knew what had been said about the Messiah. She knew what was going to take place. She knew what prophecy was said, and, and it was enough to, to, be, to dread the day that he would be unjustly put on trial by his own people. She knew enough of prophecy that he would be beaten senseless hung on a tree and nailed uh, to a cross with his hands and his feet. And every parent's nightmare, when you think about it, every parent's nightmare is to not want to see their children suffer. And you think about it, she was no different with Jesus. Mary had to live the nightmare of the most agonizing way possible. She was, so this is what Mary was saying yes to, and yet she said yes either way. She said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And I suspect that Mary's voice was pretty shaky when she pried to G Gabriel. And yet she knew the choice was clear. She gave the same answer all true believers should give when they're visited by God. If everything that the angel was telling her was really true, if this baby was really going to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, if everything was true, everything was true, of course she had to say yes. Today the same question is being asked of people just like me and you. And here's the question. Will you say yes to Jesus? That's the question that's put in front of you. If you paid attention to the children and the things that the children were talking about, it, that's the question that they were putting out. Will you say yes to Jesus? What is your response to what Jesus is calling you to do? Jesus gives us two simple words. Now, he said two simple words, follow me. He expanded on those two words. He enhanced those words. He gave details about those words, but the two simple words was just follow me. Turn it over to me and follow me. Would you say yes to that? Will you, like Mary, turn your back on the worldly plans and say yes to the one who died for you? Mary could only say yes because one day, some 30 years later, Jesus Christ would say yes to God. He would say yes to God from the, in the garden when he was prostrate down, praying to God. He would say yes to God because he knew the will of God was to go to the cross. Our ability to say yes is made possible because Jesus said yes to God on the cross. 
Mary didn't know everything. And it's obvious that she didn't understand everything that gave her hold her. But sometimes we don't understand everything. Sometimes we don't understand what God wants us to do or where he wants us to go. She was prone just like every other human being. She had emotions just like everybody else. She had doubt, she had worry, and she had fear. But Mary did cling to what she did know. This child inside her womb was no ordinary child. It was going to do extraordinary work, but this child was no ordinary child. This child would save his people, including Mary, from her sins. This was the child they had waited for their whole life. This child would reverse the curse of sin and someday rule the nations. That's what the scriptures tell us. The life of Mary reveals us a rags-to-riches story, not because Jesus made her famous. That's not the rags-to-riches part. The the rags-to-riches part is the fact that he took a, a poor young girl and he gave her a rich inheritance in heaven. And he does that same thing for every one of us. He takes our poor lifestyles. He takes our sinful, poor lifestyles, and he gives us inheritance with him in heaven. Church, there's only one answer to the question that God places before us, and that answer is yes. There's no other way. If you don't answer yes, then you never know the the eternal glory that God has given us. God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, just a gift of God. Man's a sinner, and we're all sinners and can't save ourselves. We need a Savior, and Jesus Christ became that Savior for us. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God, and God can't get to us, and we can't get to him because of sin. You can't get around it. Something had to replace it. And Jesus Christ came to this earth for the purpose of replacing that space between us that we couldn't get to God. Romans 10, 13 says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This word, whoever, includes everybody. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you follow Jesus Christ and you turn your life over to him, he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, I'm going to tell you because we have several guests with us this morning. But when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're either going to spend eternity completely separated from God in hell or we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And the choice that we make on this world and in this life determines where we spend eternity. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. God didn't make it complicated. He made it very simple. He said, follow me. And if you follow him and you turn your life over to him, you let him take the reins to lead from this point on, he says he's going to change your life. And he changes it radically. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. Whatever the decisions that you need to make, if there's any that you need to make, this is a time to make them. Just think about it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to turn it over to him today. I'll be down front. If you don't understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jesus, you just come down and we'll talk about it some more. If you don't want to come during the time of invitation, I'll be here after the invitation. But don't leave. If you don't know him, you need to know him. Let me tell you something. There's no, no better feeling than to be coming a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, I just come before you this morning just thanking you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I just thank you for the Christmas gift. The greatest Christmas gift ever given was your son, Jesus Christ, being born on this world. God, for the sins of this world. And God, the fact that 
Your unconditional love is all that you give us and you pour it out upon us. And Father, I just thank you for it. And Father, I just pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would turn it over to you. Father, for others in this congregation, those that, that need to come to the altar for prayer, Father, the altar is always open for, for prayer for you. And God, we just thank you for it. God, I just ask you bless in our time of invitation. God, you let the Holy Spirit move amongst us. God, that you focus every individual aspect of this room. And God, we just give you praise, honor, and glory for it. For it's in your Son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.